episode 228, How to Figure Out What Patients Really Want. Today, I speak with Julie Risch from Cleveland Clinic. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. There is a great video of Steve Jobs responding to an audience question that is, at a minimum, let's just say, strident. Jobs kind of ignores the aggressive nature of the query, and he offers a really thoughtful response, which is actually super relevant to healthcare. Jobs says, one of the things I've always found is that you've got to start with the customer experience and work backwards for the technology. There's links to the video on our website at relentlesshealthvalue.com. So I don't know about you, but I find this quote by Steve over the top relevant. In healthcare, we contemplate changing the workflow or integrating some technology or building some technology or whatever else we're up to. And how many times are we starting from the perspective of the patient or member? I mean, really, like even how often is the patient the why behind why are we even pondering or prioritizing this to begin with? So many have echoed, by the way, this pretty much exact same message. Joe Selby talked about it in episode 225. Dr. Selby heads up PCORI. And they have validated studies, actually, showing that patient-centered care is more cost-effective and has better outcomes than care that isn't. Roy Rosen, who leads innovation at UPenn Medicine, put it succinctly in episode 139. He talked about, you got to love the problem, not the solution. In other words, love the problem the patients are having, not whatever technology solution or whatever you think you want to do. Another quote I've heard from someone who would know is, Companies with business processes and practices in place to match the preferences of each individual customer will have the best chance of succeeding. As a data point, probably twice a week, I hear a new program, product, service, device, digital, something or other that has only a few patients or in some cases no patients using it because only after development did anyone check with patients what they think about the thing. (laughs) And then sometimes patients get blamed and labeled non-adherent to something they didn't want in the first place. Probably listeners of this particular podcast are sensitive to this issue and know about it and are working within your organizations to alter this counterproductive lack of real patient experience contemplation. So let me introduce my guest today, Julie Risch. Julie is Director, Best Practices at the Office of Patient Experience at Cleveland Clinic. And Julie definitely has some best practices to share about how to level up patient experience and include patient points of view. I don't need to tell you that Cleveland Clinic is well known to achieve some of the highest patient experience scores around, so I, for one, hung on Julie's every word. I met Julie, by the way, at the Panagora CX conference this past March. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. 
Julie, welcome to Relentless Health Value Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. I don't know if it's inarguable at this point, but let's just say there's a lot of proponents around the idea that shared decision-making matters, that if a patient is engaged and a patient is participating and making decisions about their own care, their outcomes tend to be better. And, you know, we live in a value-based world and increasingly so. That's the, the trend line. Is that kind of where you're headed with that? Partially. I think it's that we have tended in healthcare to sometimes move fast and independently and designing right services and products and educational materials through our lens. And it has all the boxes, right? I know exactly what we need for this health behavior change. And here are all the steps that I, practitioner, think is so important. And that's fantastic until you put it in front of the patient. They say, I have no idea what this means. And I'm actually not even going to read it. So I think it's about just shifting our process and saying, hey, this is what we want. This is our perspective as the healthcare provider, as the organization that's serving you. What is it that you want? And then let's put it together and come at it from both of those perspectives and kind of find something in the middle. So I think it's really about being more effective and more efficient in that designed process. And it, it is about, I guess, shared decision making. I struggle a little bit with that terminology. I think it's about how do we collaboratively come up with a plan. That assumes, right, that we both agree on a plan. That assumes that you get choice and autonomy in this, that we've provided the information in ways that you can actually take it in and do something with it. And it's a collaborative process. Is the reason why that you're doing that mission focused? In other words, it's on your mission statement somewhere and everybody is very culturally aligned to achieve that mission. Or is there business performance reasons or future proofing reasons or kind of other factors in the mix here that would drive the organization in that direction? I would say it's because it's who we are. So it's very much a part of our mission. And, you know, for 100 years, we've been committed to patients first. And so I think it's very much in our DNA and who we are as an organization that we care very deeply about our patients. We care very deeply about the community that we serve. And then I think what comes with that is that the other pieces, right, that we can provide more efficient care. We can provide more effective care when we're deeply devoted to the people that we serve. Because if you're deeply devoted to the people that you serve, then the care can become efficient because you're delivering exactly what the patient needs as opposed to sort of what the patient needs and a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> that we're not, we're not focused in 50 different directions that our patients could care less about, that we're trying to focus on the things that matter most to both us, the organization, the people that we serve. And how do you pull that off? This is what I'm thinking. That's cultural. Yes. And, you know, as they always say, culture eats strategy for lunch. Uh -huh. And what they also say is it's really, really difficult to affect a culture. You know, if you've got a, a culture that is the opposite of the new culture that you'd like to foster, it is challenging, to put it mildly, to move that mountain. Do you feel like because this has been forever... Cleveland Clinic's mission, that that's kind of the only way to get there? You know, if, it, if somebody's in an organization that doesn't have that mission statement, is it hopeless? No, not at all. I think you're right. We have an advantage that we have embedded within our culture this commitment to our patients. I think healthcare also helps. People come to it because they want to do something good beyond just me. 
there's a purpose-drivenness to that. And so I think that we have the opportunity to really harness people's passions and purpose and meaning that they want to give back themselves as employees. It is possible to do this. And I think it is about experiencing it. And I think that's where we've really won people over is that we've said, okay, we're not going to force something on you, right? We're not going to say, hey, add a patient to this committee because that's way more relevant than having me, director of design or best practice or whatever in that committee. Let's just get to the source. And so we've we've won people over by just pushing them slightly and saying, hey, why don't you try this? Or why don't you give it a try for a few meetings and see what happens? And then they become their own culture carrier. What you're not doing is running around communicating and putting posters in the lunchroom that say, hey, why don't you be patient-centric? What you are doing is kind of subtly, I don't know, seeding committees, maybe, (laughs) you know, making sure that the patient viewpoint is recommended and, and kind of a, are you doing that structurally or because all committees have to run through you guys for a signature and you're like, put somebody on that? Or is it more training or how do you pull this off? Yeah, it's a combination of those things. I think it is very much kind of very organizationally who we are. That helps. But I think it's also organic that as people say, hey, I think this, I, you know, I don't know where to go with this. And you guys sit in the office of patient experience. Can you help us with this? And then we're able to kind of navigate that conversation to be more inclusive. So I, I would say both, uh, but it's certainly not a forced, you must do this. I think we try to come at it with that people have the best of intentions and they really are trying to serve our patients. Sometimes I think that they get into the cycle of moving faster than getting the perspectives they need. And so just helping them shift where they are in their process has been really effective. I also think giving people frameworks. So I think as you would think about human-centered design and what we're doing in those spaces, like helping people to see there's a framework and a process that's really tangible that they could start to get involved in. So is it more of a pull then? In other words, you guys are sitting in your office and somebody knocks on the door and says, hi, I'm trying to do something and I feel like it should be more patient-centered. Can you help me because I understand you guys have a framework and a process? Yes, I would say that it is more of a a pull. Sometimes it's a, hey, I have this really great option or potential for you. And I think sometimes it is a a gentle nudge. Mm -hmm. I think it's both. I think it is, hey, you're doing this. This is perfect for including patients. And so I think we try to balance both. You know, at an organization that is so patient focused as Cleveland Clinic, you'll get people who that comes up in their purview as they think about something that and do they contact you for what kinds of programs like or is it just workflow in general? All kinds. I mean, all kinds. I think that we've had, it's interesting, we've, we've partnered with patients for a very long time, and we've been very intentional about that. And then the last few years, we decided, you know what, why don't we just totally kind of redesign this program? And we did that with our patients. So, you know, right, we should update, we should renew. Let's do that with our patients. And in that process, this program has just grown exponentially in the last few years. And I think maybe that's part of our culture, maybe that's part of this idea that wow, we really need those end users up front in the work that we do. But it's been a really beautiful process. What was the moment that crystallized, we need to get the patients more involved even than what they are? 
I think if, you know, it's never one thing. It's a sequencing of things. However, I'll tell you a few different examples. We were working on a project on the medical statement and the bill and doing in-depth interviews in people's homes. And it was just enlightening to know all of the different pain points and the best of intentions that people actually had. And they were just having a hard time navigating the system and the details that really are hard to make sense of. You know, I think hearing those stories and how people are challenged to navigate the system and the complexity of it, but also just the simple recommendations made of ways that we could improve just a statement. It's eye-opening. And so I think it was just a catalyst to say, you know, we really need to think about this programming and we really need to be more intentional about these kinds of projects that really prompted us to just reimagine and to really push that envelope further than we already had. And what's exciting is all the different types of projects and and that the snowball effect of that. So as we worked on one project related to should we go into this market and had a few workshops on that or what should our strategy be or how should we be thinking about advanced care planning for end of life. So as we started to engage in those kinds of projects and then partnering with the different IT infrastructure and the work that's happening in those places, it just has been a really great snowball. More and more projects and more and more reasons that we should connect in with our patients. We talked about the bill example. Fabulous that you guys have realized that it's also part of the patient experience, what happens after they leave and they experience financial toxicity. But, you know, maybe a little bit further forward, the patient goes into the doctor, maybe they know what's wrong with them, maybe they don't. You know, how does that experience change if we're thinking about this from a patient standpoint? So I'm going to tell you, we did a project on documenting sensitive diagnoses. And I'm going to use that example because I think it's helpful. And we wanted to interview people. And really, our objective was, you know, who should get access? How should we document it? What makes sense? Like, what does the after visit summary look like? And we heard some really interesting things. Particularly, we wanted a population. So we wanted to talk to people that had a more vulnerable diagnosis. So we actually invited and recruited patients that had been treated for depression or some type of mental health condition, knowing one We already treat those notes as more sensitive and we have processes around that, but also that perhaps there would be some perspective there that would add value to the broader conversation. One example is, you know, a younger woman who had struggled with anxiety, depression for most of her life, been treated well-managed, successful, doing just fine. And, And she started to have some symptoms of like low sex drive and libido. And so she started down that avenue of just having those conversations and felt time after time after time that she was dismissed because of what was documented in that list uh, in the chart, right? That problem list, the medical condition list that's in her chart, that she felt like they're just dismissing it. This is just a side effect of the medication. And, And just the process of advocacy and getting to some testing was just such a burden and a barrier and in some ways like reinforcing a stigma around you know behavioral health and conditions and medications and treatment so i think in some ways like just the other few things that came out of that is that we heard from that project not maybe just this one example is for many of our patients that we talked to that when they looked at that after visit summary it was more of this process of let me look at this let me see if there's anything and i quote weird and then i toss it and 
And what we missed is that opportunity to communicate what was in that. You're not just the down effects of that something on this list could potentially affect you and that we should be thoughtful about that, but also that the conversation never took place in a way that was meaningful to our patients. And none of that documentation was actually helpful. So just so much depth of insight in just one story. And then what did you do? Okay, so you yeah. realized that this poor woman didn't get the help that she needed and kind of almost by dint of sheer will, she managed to find herself some relief. But for every one of those, there's how many who went home and, and are still suffering. So how did you use that insight and change it up? For this, I, we made some very specific recommendations, right? Around one, how do we communicate the medical conditions that we diagnose and that we treat and, and just how important that is. And I think, too, like what are the implications for the documentation that we give to our patients, right? So being very crystal clear about those things. So those are some of the actions that we've taken. I think we're still taking those actions, of, right? Just emphasizing the importance of communicating that up front, shifting how we document, and also, I think, pushing the boundaries of oh, what are the terms that we're using to document, and is that something that, you know, you've got a template so that, you know, every disease state now has kind of a new way to format the information? Or is it a, you're shaking your head? No, I'm shaking my head, Straight right? Because out. it's so much more complex than that. And I think that's, it's a pain point, right? That so much of that is written for us. And it's very medical and that's fantastic. But to be able to take that and translate it into simple and plain language that's understandable to everyone is really complicated. So that's one piece. And that's a bigger project, right? <laughs> I'm not certain that that's going to happen anytime soon or overnight, but it's certainly something to worth aspiring to that we have to continue to provide information to our patients in ways that they can actually take it in. You know, patient is, we're going to assume they're overwhelmed and confused. Mm -hmm. We're just going to make that assumption such that we can ensure that this patient who's probably not listening to anything that we say in the exam room after 30 seconds after they got the diagnosis can find it later when they're... So I'm going to give you a personal example that's probably not a great success of my career, but as a practicing psychologist, I got a call one day and it was one of my patients who said, hey, what is this on the, the note? Like, I don't know what this is. And I got it. I see it in my, you know, documents to pay my bill. And I don't know what this diagnosis means. And that was a very real moment that I hadn't done a good job in that room. Wow. Interesting. And so in my mind, I think it is about like, I need to be held accountable to what I bill for that I'm actually communicating to you that, hey, this is what you're going to see. This is what it means. And this is how it could be potentially in interesting and or helpful to you to know that it's my job to communicate that connection. It's mm -hmm. not your job to have to go and, you know, we heard beautiful examples of I went and searched the internet. That's not my desired state for certain. Like, I want to have that conversation. And so just that awareness that good to know, like, that'd be helpful for me to say. It's um, ironic that someone is actually treating their medical bill as patient education. <laughs> we have many opportunities. Well, but, you know, kind of do, I guess. You guys are currently looking into ways to improve the medical bill. You're already sending an envelope. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to come on this podcast and get free ideas. <laughs> Is there a metric that 
your organization has said, and obviously the bar is very high for you. So it's kind of a probably a good, better, best, but you've already achieved a certain level of success. Does the leadership at Cleveland Clinic come to you and say, well, this is the next bar that we're looking for you to hurdle? And, and you know, what are the KPIs there? So for patient experience, I think, and much to our leadership, we've really tried to push that envelope that we're not just going down the road of a CMS survey. That's important and that will exist and that's great, but that we could potentially want to do more in that space. And so you know, how we look at holding ourselves accountable to great communication, how we look at, you know, things like, have we demonstrated that we care for you and demonstrating empathy and holding not just our providers and our clinical staff accountable, but everyone that serves within the organization accountable to providing exceptional experience. Also, how do we work together as a team? I think that's really important because oftentimes our patients find us very disconnected and then they're seen by several different people. And you could think about your hospital stay and the many, 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 many people that you meet. And to feel that they're not working together in service of you is a very scary and vulnerable place to be. So really shifting that and holding people with tactics accountable to how are we working together? And that's good for everyone. Um, The other thing that we're really working towards is how are we making this process easy and taking out some of the noise and the clunkiness of the system. And, you know, that's in how you come in and access us. That's also kind of how you leave us. And what does it look like? And how do you navigate the financial end of this? Because sometimes for our patients, that feels like a completely independent process of just navigating the health system that was hard enough. It has often been said that if you find a healthcare team that works together and where in which the care is coordinated, that outcomes improve. And it's also been said that if the patient experience is pretty seamless and it makes it easy for the patient to do the right things, that patient outcomes go up. Have you guys done any official look into whether by actually being patient-centric, you're also, as a either primary or secondary benefit, improving the outcomes that you're delivering? We're actively doing that now, trying to not just say, hey, you should function together as a team, but actually measuring. So one, identifying together, just designing that process with all the stakeholders together, including a patient and saying, what does that actually look and feel like? And then tying that directly back to what we want to hold ourselves accountable to. What is communication? What does it look like to demonstrate empathy? You know, how is that making that process easy for you? What's your perception of how we function? As well as the operation metrics and the quality metrics and the safety. So we are actively doing that. And it's so important. Yeah. And are the metrics, you know, like the things that you're measuring, obviously surveys are probably a big important part of this um, where you're getting data from. But then also, is there anything else? Like you had mentioned operational data, you know, like are you measuring how fast somebody can get from zero to the right place or you know what I mean? Are there more? I don't think we're quite that. Maybe we're that sophisticated. I just don't know about it. But yeah. So I think, you know, the, the big challenge of some of these surveys is that it's not real time sending you something that you fill out a month down the road and we hear back, like, it's not actionable. So we're really thinking about how do we turn that and make it more real time? Tell us in the moment and maybe we could potentially do something in that moment to help make that experience better. That's better for us. It's better for you or the patient that's that's coming in our doors. We're also really being thoughtful about what are the process metrics? So what can we capture in the moment for that same purpose? Like, what can we capture in the moment to know if we're on track? 
Like, so we said this is a really important initiative. That's great. But what are we capturing day in and day out? And then circling that back in some visual management to show you that, hey, this is happening. And what's exciting is that maybe in a month or so, when we have enough data of impact, that we can show the actual impact. Got it. Yeah. So there's there's more leading indicators, yes. for example, and then, you know, kind of end. Yes. Um, yeah. What would you say to the cited example? Well, look, that you know, the doctor is really rude. Bedside manner is absolutely terrible. But I'm going to go to him slash her anyway, because they're the best. Oh, I think you, you hear those stories. You know, my sense is that that may happen for like a procedure. And I think that's less and less that people are looking for someone to care about them. And you could be a really fantastic surgeon and quite skillful. And if I can't communicate with you, there is a risk to the quality and the safety and the experience of this. And so I think we have very savvy patients who are aware that those combination of skills is highly important to my outcome. And so I think as an organization that we are focusing on holding ourselves accountable to all of those things. And that's so important that nobody wants to see a really talented surgeon who is sure. Yeah. On the flip side, though. So I was reading Marty McCary's book, which is called Unaccountable. And he has an example in there of two surgeons. One of them was a fantastic surgeon, probably on the spectrum, however, not a great communicator. Then there was another guy who was a super skillful communicator, very caring, did all the things that a super good communicator does. Horrible surgeon. So, you know, you've got a case where the back end and the front end, you know, like the interface, you've got one person who's a great back end, you know, a great surgeon, and you've got another person who's a fantastic front end. How do you get those two guys to work together? That would be the optimal. The beautiful combination. The beautiful combination, right? <laughs> I think it, I think some of the things that I value in our organization is, and some of the things that I think are highly successful is... We are holding you accountable to all of those things, right? That, of course, you should be very skillful. You should be knowledgeable about the field that you practice and practice within that scope. You should have great quality and experience metrics and be able to communicate effectively. And that we are going to invest in you. And so I think it is about, one part, being very transparent about what those scores are. And we've been very progressive about that. And then one part being very willing to have those conversations and then to back them with some support and resourcing. So patient experience scores or the communication is a little bit lower. We're worried about that. Would you be interested in doing some of these types of things? And what could that look like? So I think that process and the fact that we sit down and do that every year and more frequently if it's necessary is in my mind, highly effective. And it's also kind of the right learning community growth type of organization that you want to sit in. Because sometimes it's just about perception. I think, you know, I I think in the world of communication and teaching in that space, I think sometimes people just don't perceive how what they say lands on someone else. And it's not by intention that the intention is the right thing. Like they think that they're doing something that is helpful. It's just a disconnect between how it lands. Obviously, there's outliers to that. That is an opportunity, right? Because then you're just removing a blind spot, giving some tools. One of the things that has been going on lately where Cleveland Clinic has been in the news is there's employers beginning to understand 
that certain musculoskeletal surgeries are unnecessary. And if the patient goes to the local rural hospital, they might not be up on, does this patient need surgery? Does this patient not need surgery? Or the latest oncologic care, you know, is another thing where you really need a special, a, a center of excellence. So there are some forward thinking employers and maybe not even so forward thinking anymore. I mean, this is becoming much more mainstream. We're in the interest of getting better care for their employees, regardless of where they are. They actually find better outcomes and it's probably cheaper in the long run to put the employee on a plane and send them somewhere, such as the Cleveland Clinic is an often mentioned travel surgery destination. Is there something that you guys are doing very specifically because you are having an influx of patients who aren't local? Did you do something in order to make Cleveland Clinic an even more attractive destination? So, I mean, I think people come to us from all over the world because there's really amazing people doing amazing things in the organization. And I mean, I just think the foundation of this very collaborative team approach to taking care of people and innovating together in that space. I don't know if there's anything, honestly, it's probably a little bit outside of my lane. I don't know if there's anything specific that we're doing to draw people other than providing exceptional care. Well, I was just thinking maybe once they got there, do they get the welcome to Cleveland pack? And, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you can say in these hotels, you know what I mean? Like, is there something because now the patient experience also includes getting on an airplane and going somewhere. I think that there's still opportunity in that space of making certain that we are welcoming people and giving them actual information that they can utilize both on our campus, but in that area. But I think being able to support the caregivers and the people that are accompanying and taking care of the patient is just such a huge opportunity space period within healthcare. So how do we continue to provide ways of support to them? Give me a great way to do so. Yes. And I think, you know, things that we've done just very small tangibly is making certain that we don't have visiting hours, that you can be with your loved one or your support any time. Um, and then making certain that we have, you know, facilities, right, that you can have your nutrition. And if you need to stay somewhere, we, we're being thoughtful about that. So it's more stuff that, you know, actually just looking at, I don't want to liken it to the hospitality industry, but there are certain things that if you're in the hospitality industry, you recognize, like if you've got someone who's staying on your premises, ensuring they've got a comfortable place to sit or lay or whatever, you know, so just more looking at it almost from their journey within the facility. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think and not just that, I think we also have been very thoughtful about the services that we offer. So that's interesting. So as we're talking about the patient experience or the caregiver experience, it says much about trying to anticipate the prescribed journey or as much about the actual steps in the journey as about the wraparounds that surround that, like, for example, the comfort of those within the walls of the hospital. I would suggest that that is the journey. And if we're not thinking about that, and, and I think, you know, it's in a system enterprise level, that's tricky. But as we think about those projects that come out of that, and how do we, you know, map those against each other and learn across them, that's so important. And our patience is one perspective of that. Their support is another perspective of that our people is another the community that we're in. I, I think we have to think broader, and that we have to be more inclusive about what are the different lenses that we're seeing this through so that we ensure we're providing services for everyone. It has been a pleasure to have you on the Relentless Health Value Podcast today, Julie. Thank you very much. 
Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.